Hey, hey, it's me, Big B, checking in on you up top here as per, well, not as per usual, but you know what I'm saying. Thanks so much for listening to Chapter 57. We hope you enjoy it when you get into it. We ended up spending a little bit longer on the content of this episode than I initially thought we would, and I'm really happy with how it came together. So yeah, I hope you enjoy it. We're going up a day later than usual because we are currently, right now, in the middle of a season of our science show, The Uncertainty Principle, live at Fringe World Perth. So if you're in Perth and you want to hear some cool science content, come on down to hear myself and Dr. Taryn Lobenstein talking about it. Or if you aren't in Perth, stay tuned to Curio's social media because we recorded the audio and we'll be releasing it all shortly. The show's been going great so far and there are some tickets left for the last two shows on Friday the 7th and Saturday the 8th of February at 6.30pm at the Perth Mess Hall. But those tickets are going really fast, so get in quick if you want to hear us talking about animal intelligence on the Friday or dark matter on the Saturday. Ticketing information can be found on Curio's social channels or on the Fringe World website. Just one more thing before we get into it today. This week's episode explores a bit of Duncan's past in the military, and there is some mention, although it is kept mostly vague, of some military interrogation stuff, which could potentially be a bit heavy for some people, and we totally get that if that's the case. You could definitely give this episode a skip if that's you, and we'll recap the critical details at the top of the next episode, so you'll know what's going on. Anyway, uh, that's it for me. I won't take up any more of your time. Thanks as always for listening. Enjoy the show. I didn't have TV, guys. How <laughs> many people left out? TV, ex- no TV except for Doctor Who. Um, well, we I... had DVDs. <laughs> we <went> savages. <laughs> the funny uh, thing about Chris. that is, oh wait, no, I had DVDs. I didn't, never had VHS. My parents held out and were like, nah, nah, nah. And then once DVDs <laughs> were an old thing, they were like, fine, you can get DVDs. And I was like, wow, I really mixed, missed out on the whole tape. Wow. Era. Your parents were like, tape is the devil? <laughs> like, we can't have tape in this house? This tape no, is a fad. I don't, I don't think there was any, like, it's the devil. I think it was just, like, CBF buying some new shit. And yeah, newfangled technology. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But VHS was in the ringer for a while. Like, it wasn't like... It wasn't like... Yeah. Two-year scenario, right? Like it, it was around for ages. VHS was like a whole pop cultural phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, I mean th- that's that's why it's funny to me. Like if it was just kind of like we missed the weekend where VHS was in, like I'm sure lots of people did. <laughs> but my, yeah. like it was this weird thing where like they weren't against it. They were just like, nah. Wild. Like I will have been playing games. Nintendo 64 whilst everybody else was like watching. That's probably why I got so good at video games. I couldn't watch anything. I had to play. I love the I, I love the idea that like DVDs come out and like Margaret comes home and she's like, "All right, Michael, we got to get involved in this. Shit. <laughs> this is the fucking future." <laughs> so <laughs> like you using my parents' names in that bit is just such a weird kind of eerie. That yeah. she's just like, "Have you seen? All right, the tape thing. All right, it was just bullshit. It was just a strip of tape. It was like film, no problem. But have you seen? They've got these on these tiny little fucking discs now." <laughs> What, what, what I like a whole more, movie on this thing, Michael. What I like more as a narrative is that your parents came home one day to see you playing like Nintendo sixty four and were like, "This kid is good. Like, we, can't, we can't get into VHS and distract him. He needs to game all the time. He's gonna go pro MLG, baby. If we let anything distract him from Banjo Kazooie, like we lost our shot of greatness there." <laughs> This is a tale of a strange and dangerous world, a world known as Carthus. This is an adventure full of magic, hardship, and friendship. 
This is a tale about a world at war, and the people who are forced to endure it. When ancient magic starts to stir, three unlikely heroes find themselves embroiled in a quest much larger than themselves. But, more than any of that, this is a story about how to win loot and influence dragons. What up, everyone? This is How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons. Welcome back. It's the cool summer breeze of Miami. I'm the dude, Big B, your uh, regular time dungeon master here in the hot Miami summer. Living it. Cool sea breeze. Loving it. Here to make a show for you. Welcome. Hey, it's Mr. Worldwide, Jackson Yusin. Yeah. Woo, he's in the picture. What do you got for us, Mr. Worldwide? Music. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's me, your uh, specifically Albuquerque-esque Thomas. We don't have Bear Claws Owen. Okay. <laughs> and I'm a really um, just overheating California girl, Grace Chapel. Yeah, wow. Wow, some social commentary there. Yeah, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're over here in California, everyone. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right, Greta Thunberg. <laughs> like Greta Dumberg, am I right? Hey, uh... no, nah, I'm kidding. <laughs> I stand yeah. with Greta. Yeah, here, here on our podcast, it's yeah. late. We're coming out hard yeah. against Greta. <laughs> I love, I love that that Fuck, was that, that was that was your bridge too far, Thomas. You were like, you know what? No, I'm not going to make a joke about the climate. Excuse me, I'm I'm Greta. Oh look, I'll make jokes about the climate, but I I won't I won't make jokes against Greta because yeah. I try not to do anything that Donald Trump does. Yeah, right. I mean, she wow. she, she deserves she deserved a best director nom. I agree. Does that mean you don't breathe oxygen, Tom? <laughs> oh, triggered. Get wrecked, libcuck. Yeah, I actually don't anymore. I'm I'm only using the nitrogen now. So uh, jokes on you. There's more of it. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> You're operating at full capacity. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for 2020, the year all of us liberals transition to nitrogen. <laughs> all seriousness, Greta, big fans, welcome on the show anytime. <laughs> if anyone, yeah, I, got... I would actually fucking love to play D and D with Greta Thunberg. She'd be like, I don't have time it's, to play D and D with you fucking idiots. I'm trying to say. <laughs> Well, she's taken one year off school to, like, help the climate. Maybe she takes one year off school to, like, make a podcast for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, doors open, Greta. As in, like, I'm ready for her to lead us into the future. Yeah, yeah right. Sure. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Cool. I'm going to help. She can't do it all. I mean, like, she can, but you know that whole thing where it's like, people just keep in like, okay, great, it's Greta. I love Tom, work. like, tightrope walking, <laughs> desperately trying to be like, I'm pro Greta while still making jokes. I just, like, <laughs> be, like everything he says, just so, like, quickly couched and like, I mean, <laughs> she can do it. She's amazing. We see three Cine transport tubes, lancing through the web. The first tube rolls to a stop next to an obelisk, and shortly thereafter, a tightly bound Garrick is carried out of the vehicle. The werewolf follows, an expression of calm impassivity on his face. The second tube contains Elena, Alvar, and a handful of the other escapees from Hastings. Alvar is distant, 
deep in thought, whilst Elena clutches something, small and hard, in her right hand. Her face is screwed up tight in deep concentration. She opens her eyes, casts a quick glance around the tube, and slips the object into a pocket. The third tube contains our heroes. We see them, sleeping, resting before the challenges to come. We focus on Duncan. He is especially restless, fitfully tossing and turning, deep in recollection. So, at the end of the last episode, we were traveling in a Cine transport tube through the web, heading in the direction of Sanctuary, so you guys could rendezvous with Alvar and Elena and the rest of the group that had survived the second assault on Hastings. And Duncan was passing into a fitful, restless sleep, where he was remembering some things from his past. I would like to, to kind of dip into Duncan's psyche and just, like, have a look at that dream. I mean, we've done, like, a similar thing before one time, right, where we were doing one of those Tales of Duncania episodes that was, like, super fun, where it was, like, a dream Duncan had that was, like, oddly reminiscent of his time in in the war, but, like, weird and twisted. I think this is, like, a similar thing, but it's it's much closer to reality. Like, it's much more a recollection than it is a dream. Oh, so um, Duncan could be an unreliable narrator here. We could actually yeah. see anything. <laughs> I mean, like, yes, straight up, like, I'm going to be... <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be Duncan talking... Duncan, get a silver star for a massive penis. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, literally a massive penis in the first place my brain went. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like, we see a younger Duncan. Huge dick, <laughs> flapping in the breeze. <laughs> um... Soldier, take that thing to half mass. <laughs> was born with a dwarf's body and a giant's dick. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, but, alright, like, all jokes aside, I kind of... I kind of want to see that I kind of want to see Duncan's fat dick. Yeah, no. <laughs> the only reason he doesn't fall over face forward is because his booty's so thick. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's like a well-balanced sword. His butt is the pommel. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know where I'd be gripping him. Alright. Hey, uh, hey B Mac, later when you're asking us for episode titles, you're welcome. His butt is the pommel? <laughs> yeah. Um, very good. Wow, getting the best jokes out up top. Okay. Um, so I wanna recall basically the end of Duncan's time in the army. Like we we've talked around it for mm, 60 so sixty some episodes at this point. Um the, the the broad sketch of things we kind of understand, right? Like, Duncan was in this military platoon. The commander was this guy called the Werewolf, who uh, has finally made an on-screen appearance in this very campaign. Uh, and, you know, something went down with his battle brothers and his comrades in arms, and he ended up, like, abandoning the military and moving on with his life. I kind of want to play out some of how that happened. I think, like, the return to... You know, knowing he's heading back to Snake's Bay in spring is sort of bringing up all of these memories into Khan's mind. So <clears throat> let's let's go there. DK, Tom, where was your platoon the last week of your service with the werewolf? Uh, mm. Yeah. Well, it was on the it was on the front lines of the war. 
Right. <clears throat> so um, very much like somewhere probably, probably <clears throat> yeah, probably further north in the Ashwood than we've traveled. I would say like the front lines of the war at that time would have been out of the Ashwood, like just out of the Ashwood, like just a bit into the Eastern League. Because if we recall from the start of the campaign, like originally Carthus had been winning the war, like until very recently, when it seemed like the tide started to turn back <coughs> due to technological advancements in the league. So I would say like when Duncan was serving, probably the front lines were a little bit further east. Um, mm-hmm. And and maybe, yeah, he's on like the northern frontier of the of the Eastern League sort of like yeah. borders. In, in my mind, you're on the front lines, you've been fighting these Eastern League troops for, 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 you know, months, and you've just had, like, a big victory. The week before, the Werewolf's Platoon, which is sort of like an elite platoon, that people who are hand-picked or hand-elevated by commanders of, like, regular infantry groups into this kind of, like, you know, shock troop-type situation, and um, they've, like, captured a large group of Eastern League soldiers. And it's a combination of some of their engineers. That's the thing that's exciting about it is they've got like a high proportion of the Eastern League's engineering corps here, which is like one of the things they want to know a lot about because this is the early days of the war starting to turn back in favor of the League owing to their development of like siege weaponry and stuff Mm. and like better new equipment. So the werewolf, the orders come down a few days prior that you guys are setting up camp. You're fortifying a position. And Duncan and his comrades have spent the last, you know, few days building this fortified camp, digging trenches, filling it with spike posts, building, like, a, a wall, and basically, like, digging in whilst the werewolf begins his interrogations. And, Tom, like, we, we've talked a bit off mic about this. Like, you, <clears throat> you said that, like, the werewolf, in your mind, has a bit of a reputation for interrogation do you want to speak to that a little bit yeah i mean i think it's it's basically why he was running the you know i was with at the end of my time in the war because he was um he'd basically been given the power to recruit from some of the better soldiers to make this force uh and whether or not he was specifically aiming for the engineers at the beginning i think he was his whole role in the army was targeting positions where he might be able to kidnap or rather, rather, sort of capture, not exactly kidnap, but capture uh, Eastern League targets who might have good intel, because interrogation is his whole specialty. Right. Okay, so very much a, like elite troopers like <clears throat> going and grabbing high-value targets and, and yeah. intelligence gathering. Yeah. So, like, let's say, like, before you have, like, hackers or whatever, before you have, like, literal, like... Duncan, fantasy hacker. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of like... It's like they're the special forces, and then he's the fucked up, like CIA dude at Guantanamo Bay, just fucking up the. Are you translating okay. this for younger listeners who can't imagine a world of warfare before hacking? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, yeah. But what yeah, do yeah. the computers do here? Are they yeah. Wait, no, sorry. What's a computer? Yeah. Much in the way that uh, back at, like, the early days of NASA, they had human beings running computations that they called computers. I think the werewolf refers to all of the troops as computers. <laughs> He's like, all right, computers, get out there and hack. <laughs> That's... No, no, none of this was intended. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, okay. Good. Good. So, so, like, the werewolf, like, he does this kind of, like interrogation methods how aware do you think the average troops are of like what those methods are uh, up to this point well i would say that the average troops wouldn't even know who the werewolf is i mean within the werewolf's platoon yeah go on yeah i think within his platoon 
uh, I mean, people know that they're seizing targets. People know that those targets are kept and kept alive. We would have at least seen people uh, at some point. Like, we probably had prisoners die and then, like, had to bury these dudes who'd, like, clearly been, like, visibly been tortured. Right, um, so it's it's like it's pretty full on, and that's yeah, it, it's like aware of that. Like, suffice to say, it's fucked up. We know it's fucked up. We believe we're doing what needs to be done to win this war. A lot of us, like, so for example, Duncan has had his hometown like basically destroyed by the Eastern League. Well, I say hometown. I mean, Snake Spain Spring, really. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it'll be the same for a lot of people in this unit. They're probably selected both for their abilities and for their dedication to basically being like, we got to fucking stop this. There's a little bit of psych profiling that goes into selecting these like (laughs) shock trips. Would you say these criminal minds? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're the the expendables. (laughs) What are we? Some kind of suicide squad? Um, yeah, yeah. All right, I like that. Um, okay, yeah, so, so I think you- I think there's a, a broad awareness what specifically that entails. Probably gradually gets clearer day by day, month by month. Okay, so what what's different about this week that you guys spend in this fortified camp on the northern part of the frontiers or the front lines? What's different about this that gets what happens to to start to uh, come into effect? I think, in a weird way, there's nothing different about it. I think it is just sort of coincidentally the moment at which it's become too much for enough of the unit. I, I think it's been like a slow build of people, like, you know, whispered conversations and deteriorating mental health, where, like, people are gradually being like, this is getting out of hand. Um, and. Like I say, I think it's kind of like a day-by-day process where, like, gradually people, like, more people are less comfortable. And this is just kind of almost, almost sort of, like, surprisingly, coincidentally, just the point at which it's bad enough that people are talking about it this much. Okay. I, I really like that. So I think, like, let's jump into the start of the dream then here. And for the listener at home, uh, for at least some of this little, like, dreamscape roleplay... Uh, we're not just having uh, Juicer and Gracie sitting idly by. They're going to be role-playing some little characters in uh, in Duncan's dream, some of the other shock troops within the werewolf's division. So we'll meet them when we meet them. But just to set the scene, I think it's it's probably an especially cold night on the frontier. You guys are a bit further north, which brings a bit of the cold with it just kind of naturally, and you've been becoming accustomed to it, but... There's still the odd night that just takes you by surprise and you're chilled and you're sitting in the camp and there's just no way to get warm. And you're in this period of relative rest. You've built this fortified camp and you're sitting around. And in some ways that's nice because you're tired, but in some ways it's much worse because when you don't have a lot of very physical active duty, there's not much for you to do other than think and talk and be acutely aware of what's going on in the camp. And I'd like to take us to a fireside chat that evening between Duncan and a few of the other soldiers within the camp. Uh, so who are they? What do we What do we think, uh, Jackson and Grace? Who are these other troopers? We don't need that much detail, but just, you know, like a name, a, a vague appearance, what their, what their vibe is, and then, then we'll dip right in. Is this a mixed um, gender, Blizzard? 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Every, everything in this world is. Um, but feel free to play a dude if you want, Grace. <laughs> Whatever. Thanks. Uh, I, I was thinking this guy is probably called Kiln. He's like a, a halfling sort of rogue slash sapper. Oh, kind of nice. Sort of like munitions and shit like that. Um, imagine him being like a bit older, um, sort of like grayed hair, and then like sort of like left part of his face sort of a bit fucked up by burns and that sort of thing. So probably like missing an eye and that sort of thing. Huge. Um, but just like an, uh, like, like a veteran from like a couple of wars and that sort of thing. That whole thing of like halflings craving adventure, but like his particular adventure became war and he just sort of like has stuck around with that. I am, um, Colin, who is a, a lady warrior. Okay. Um, no, actually it's, I was, that was a joke. I thought, okay. I thought it would be funny. Okay, oh, okay. I, was not, I did think it was funny. I was trying not to derail you. <laughs> um, yep. Um. So Colin's a bloke. He's the blokiest bloke on the front lines. Yeah, um, I guess he's a human. Um, I reckon he's like an archer, so I don't know. A ranger? Yeah, that'll be. Yeah, cool. Okay, so Colin, and what's what's Colin's background? Is he a veteran or is he relatively new to the, to the fight? I think he's... Quite young, maybe a bit ideal, idealistic. So maybe this whole like torture camp thing is like especially not cool by him. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. Okay, cool. And we've got Duncan, and they're sitting around in the setting that I've described, and this fire is is doing a little bit to thaw your bones, uh, gradually warming you up. Yeah, let's let's take it away to that fireside. Feel free to to jump on in. Um, I was just checking. Was it Kiln Jackson? Yeah, Kiln and Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they're best friends. <laughs> Does he shit terracotta? <laughs> that's um. <laughs> okay, take it away, friends. Well, I think maybe it's like, like, bitingly cold. Maybe yeah, and like the f- the fire's sort of like going down a bit, so like kiln sort of like tending to it, and like sort of like yeah. trying, to, trying to bring it back up. And that okay, sort of so kiln is is. Tending to the fire, yep. appropriate for his namesake. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he starts eating embers <laughs> to warm himself up inside. Yeah, it's really just a power play to show the other soldiers. That exactly. He's, yeah, he's, he's top top dog. Yeah, I think Kiln probably <laughs> turns around and um, asks the other boys there if there are any. Uh, either of you got any got any ale on you? It's a cold bite. I uh, always do, mate. Sorry, I'm just feeling a lot of pressure to do a character voice for once in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, just um, searching for it. What, what, what if Colin was like a wee Irish lad? Because I, I, I was thinking Kiln might be, but then like I, I started like reacting with like jokes and was like, oh no, he feels he feels pretty Australian. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. I guess I'll do the only accent I can do. That makes sense. <laughs> it's a sensible suggestion. <laughs> Not uh, Russian. <laughs> Interesting. You did do like Russian once. Greetings. I am Colin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that for Colin. Fierce gold and light in the Eastern League. I'm here for that. Yeah, I don't hate that's it. That's great, actually. I think that's fun. There's a fierce golden light in the Eastern League? Golden light. Oh, oh right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. it is cold. If you uh, have a spare ale, I will accept. Yeah, yeah, I'll uh, I'll go get some from a tent. I'll be back in a tent. 
And Duncan leaves the scene to go to his tent <laughs> to get some ale. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Leaves, Duncan gets up and walks off to his tent. And leaves Colin and Kiln to their devices for a minute. I think uh, Kiln stares Colin in the eye. And then... So how's Colin you, nods. How'd you, how'd you pull up from earlier? Is a horrible day. I do not know how much longer I can do this. I'd uh, <clears throat> keep quiet about, with comments about that. I reckon uh, might not be the safest place to be whispering him. It's fine if you want to keep keep doing this horrible thing day after day. Then fine, we won't talk about it. No, no, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just let's just. So a bit of ale, maybe we'll um, we can chat more. But let's just look. If we can get Duncan on side, yeah, yeah, it's a good yeah, chance for for change. Yeah, no, I think you might be right about that. So, do you think Colin and Kiln have had a prior conversation about this? Then is that the implication that yeah. they've kind of had a couple of chats yeah. about how they're not feeling good about this and they're like trying to get Duncan on side? Yeah. All right, I love that. How much longer do you reckon this war goes on for? Like, I mean. The league's pushing back. I um, I don't know. I've just seen so much of it. It'll keep going for a while. Duncan Ugh. says as he half surprisingly emerges from the darkness with a roughly half elf sized barrel of ale. <laughs> hey, Duncan's <laughs> getting the wait. Was it a half elf? It was a half elf, half barrel, or yeah, 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 barrel chested exactly, yeah. Trent. Yes. He's a good, manly-sized battle of ale. Thank you. <laughs> the only size I ever bother taking anywhere. <laughs> so does everybody kind of tuck in? Yeah. Yeah, I reckon Duncan has a uh, ale tap that he carries on his belt everywhere that he can just, like, crack into the bottom of the barrel. Is it, like, is, like, a is it the belt it? buckle? Like, does he have, like, like, a cool belt buckle that doubles as, like, an ale tap? <laughs> Uh, no, I think his belt buckle is a spoon, much like uh, any Boy Scouts belt buckle, <laughs> and then dangling from that as though some sort of eye-catching ornament is his ale tap. Okay, I love that. Rack on that in. It's yeah. going to be relevant in the finale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maleficus is like, you'll never stop me if I turn myself into a giant barrel of ale. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, little do you know, Maleficus, I've been prepared for this moment since before this campaign began. I've got a drinking problem. Here we go. I have to drink the sorcerer. <laughs> it's like Man, a I Gandalf moment. In the drink your Dumbledore moment, yeah. Oh, fuck. I, okay. dr- I drink your Maleficus. Okay. I drink, I drink it up. <laughs> All right, so you guys tuck into the ale, and do you think there's some silence while you drink, or do you think the conversation continues right away? Yeah, I can a bit, a bit of bit of silent drinking. Mm-hmm. And after a few minutes of silent drinking, <clears throat> up wanders Devon, a another dwarf. Bar- this guy's a barbarian, and he is a. He's been in the group probably roughly as long as Duncan, which is to say longer than Colin, but less than Kiln, I think. And uh, Devin walks out, like, he's he's been on uh, guard duty at the interrogation tent, 
and he just walks over and sits down and throws his axe at the ground in front of the fire and plonks down and goes, this is right fucked, and just sits there in silence. How many, how many, how many months have you been with us, Duncan? What? Ten now? Devin goes, yeah, that's about right. Same time as me. It's not exactly what they uh, implicitly signed us up for at this point. <laughs> Devin just laughs. Isn't it? I, for one, thought that we were fighting for a just and reasonable cause. Yeah, I'll drink to that. Devin says, there's nothing just about what's going on in that tent. Fighting is fighting. When it needs to be done, doesn't make a lot of difference which way you do it. Do you see that, um, that young lad from the East they brought in? I think he's a kid of, um, kid of a governor over there. Red hair. Do you see him, Duncan? Yeah. It's sickening. Sickening is what they do. He took his arm off at the elbow. And he fucking grew it back. Then he cut it off again. And again. He's a fucking kid, Duncan. Has the war hit your home? I think the war's pretty well fucking hit all our homes. Because there's a lot more homes between here and Carthus, mate. Some days I hope they will take us, take the camp. Then at least it will be over. Maybe it'll freeze over. Over for us isn't over for everyone. We're doing what has to be done because somebody has to do it. How long can we keep pretending that the end justifies the means? As long as it takes. And how can you say that the ends justify those means when it never fucking ends? They're fighting back harder than ever, Duncan. I'm not sure where... I'm not sure it's enough, and if it's not changing the war and saving lives, then at a certain point we're just fucking torturing people. If somebody in the East signs up to come and burn somebody's home, what, in Hanelport, or even if they've got their eyes set on Carthus itself, if... If they're signing up to burn homes and we find them and we take them and we get what we can from them to make it all stop and if all we do is buy a week for some kid living on some farm somewhere, then we've bought that kid a week only at the expense of someone who signed up to burn his house. That boy we took today did not sign up to fight. And in the East... The children have nightmares of us, not of villages. They have nightmares of the werewolf, actually. I don't think any of us are saying that there's no point to what we're doing. I think we're, we're fighting for a reason, right? Like, I, I think we can all agree on that, but it's the method that we're questioning, Duncan. It's, it's the head of the snake. We've sworn our oaths. 
We took them in good conscience. For a good cause. But think of the better cause we could serve without him. I don't know how good my conscience is these days, Duncan. What better cause without him how? You could. You could lead us. Guide us to something that's a little more fucking manageable to sleep with. I'm not saying we give up what we're doing, but I just think there has to be a healthier way of doing this. Otherwise, it's not right. There is some universal imbalance that is going to enact itself upon us for these crimes that we are doing. Our humanity is at stake, Duncan. I wasn't born to lead this. I was born in one shithole, fled to another and found a way to make my life pass day by day well enough. And the East came and they destroyed that. I don't have the power to lead us fucking anywhere. I never have. The structures are what they are. We took this job. Because somebody has to do it. And it's what we can do. I think uh, Kilm looks over at Colin, sort of like somewhat dejected. and Takes like a long sip of ale. So you stand with the werewolf? I stand against the league. The two positions aren't mutually exclusive, Duncan. You can stand against the League and against what the werewolf is doing. And what happens to me then? I go and sit out my time in some cell in Carthus for defecting and wait for the Eastern League to come and find me and kill me for what I've already done? It's not... It It doesn't have to be that black and white. It doesn't need to be a knife in the dark. We can... Look, we've figured out ways of making it look like something else happened. It'd we've organised... Duncan. We've, we've overseen assassinations, Duncan. We've covered it up before. We can do it again. Now is no different. We have the means. And this is an end that's worth fighting for. We gave our word. What do we have after the fight if we throw that away? Look, you don't have to be involved, but you have to stand aside. As for what we've got left, how about a little fucking shred of our humanity? Nah, that's long gone, mate. And then I think with that, Duncan downs his ale, slams his cup down on top of the barrel and walks off leaving it there for them. And I think the other three exchange a meaningful glance as Duncan's recollection of what happens here obviously expires and we are forced to move forward. So in your mind, T, what does Duncan do do next? Having been made aware of the fact that his brothers in arms are planning this assassination and they've said that they're basically going to do it and that they just need him to either get on board or just stay out of their way. What's his what's his play here? I think he 
goes to the werewolf and tells him that a mutiny is underway. Yeah, let's, let's let's play out that scene. So, so you reckon that later that night, Duncan goes to the werewolf's tent and just just what does he what does he do? Does he knock on the fence post or the the tent pole? What is what's his vibe? I guess Duncan walks up to the opening of his tent and just kind of says, uh, "Commander, sir, it's Duncan." You peer into the tent and you see by lantern light a man of relatively slight physique, or I guess you'd say unimposing physique. He's wearing like shoulder to toe, this supple black leather armor. And he looks completely unremarkable. Like the kind of person whose face you would forget immediately. And he's just sitting there with a glass of some kind of dark liquor and just reading. And he looks up lazily from his position and says, Oh, um, Duncan. At ease, come in. And he kind of like beckons you into the tent. Is this how we win, sir? How we stop the league? He looks slightly more puzzled and then goes, What kind of question is that, Duncan? Of course this is how we win. Are you questioning the importance of what we do here? No. But others are. His face darkens immediately, and that completely unremarkable face now looks terrifying. I think this is probably a face that Duncan definitely remembers. And he quickly says, Oh, they are. Which others, Duncan? Kiln. Colin. Devon. Maybe more. The werewolf pauses for a moment and puts down his glass of dark liquor and then says, But not you, Duncan. They don't have the stomach for the fight. I know we can't stop. Not now. Just to be clear, Duncan, you do have the stomach for it. I will not let them win. Very good. Duncan, do you know when they're planning to move against me? No, there was nothing, nothing clear. Hmm. Well, in that case, Duncan, if you do truly have the stomach for this line of work, you're going to need a strong stomach for what comes next. Go along with them. Tell them you're on board. And when they come for me, well, with you and I together, and you inside their ranks, they won't stand a chance. And he flashes you a sickening smile. And then Duncan, I presume, goes back to them and, and tells them that he's he's on board? Yeah. I think we can, like, assume basically, like, what happens from here is Duncan goes back, tells them that, like, all right, he's in, and they're kind of like, okay, great. Um, they tell him, like, it's going down tomorrow night, and Duncan can probably kind of, like, subtly hip the werewolf to that the next day. And we know what happens. 
the the mutiny attempt, its kiln, its colon, its devon, and a few others from within Duncan's platoon, within the werewolf's command, and the following night, under cover of darkness, they approach the tent, weapons drawn, and of course they're walking right into a trap. I mean, <laughs> what did they think? The best military intelligence officer in the Carthan military was going to be caught by surprise? And between Duncan and the werewolf, they cut them to shreds. I think there's a particular moment that stays with Duncan. As they approach the tent, Duncan's at the back. And as they get to the tent, right before they enter, is when Duncan takes his sword to the first of them. The werewolf emerges and fights through from the front. And I think uh, it's over frighteningly quickly, but each movement is harrowing for Duncan. And then there's just this pause that I don't think he'll ever forget, where he and the werewolf have fought from opposite sides of this group of soldiers. And it ends, the two of them face to face. And there's this second where Duncan almost doesn't stop. And it's like he's cut down the others and by the time that's done knows he needs to cut down the werewolf too. And there's the momentum and the rage and it's this strange tense moment where they're face to face and then I suppose Duncan probably just drops his sword. Yeah, and I think we're in that moment, and Duncan's breathing heavy, he's covered in blood, he's cut down his friends, and he almost for a moment went to strike the werewolf, and I think you see on the werewolf's face that he saw that too. And as soon as Duncan throws down his sword, he stares at him for a moment. The werewolf, you notice, doesn't seem as out of breath as you feel. And he says... You've done me a great service, Duncan. I won't forget this. And he puts a hand on Duncan's shoulder. And when that hand makes contact, I think Duncan wakes up. And we're in that Cine transport tube. And it's rolling to a gentle stop in front of an obelisk. And Elva chimes up and everybody wakes up. Jody, Drasilia, Duncan. And she says, Okay, we've arrived at the nearest obelisk to the Temple of Life. Everybody out. And what does everybody do? We're back in our regular world here. <laughs> We're out of this Duncan's nightmare. Stretch. <laughs> yeah, Jessie has a little stretch. She puts on her morning time comfy clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's a great. Jody is also in on those stretches, one hundred percent. Jody's doing like full on some yoga over here. His pigeon pose, it's amazing. <laughs> I was just wondering what the um, I don't know if I like drifted out for a second or something. But what was the change in Duncan that made him want to cut down the werewolf from where he'd been blindingly loyal before? I mean, he's not, or he wasn't. Blindly loyal. He was just extremely conflicted. And, and 
lawful, right? I mean, like, that's Duncan leaning into his alignment, like his D&D 5e alignment really hard, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's that question of, like, how far are you willing to go to, to win the war? And I think it's only as he is killing the other soldiers that he sees that that's too far for yeah. him. Maybe, like, he thought he had the stomach for it and he realised that maybe he didn't have the stomach for that. Yeah. Hey, T, just wondering, where does this line up with Duncan, like, dipping into Drang and that sort of thing? Like, does that... <laughs> is this, like, I current think, or...? I think uh, Duncan had had a very occasional recreational Drang exposure before he joined the Special Forces. Oh, a bit of Drang but with I the think, boys? <laughs> yeah. I, I think um, after that event with the werewolf, he he abandons his post, goes AWOL, and that's when he gets into a bit of heavier Drang use. There's probably a degree to which he's really um, shaking that Drang habit when the whole story with uh, Drazzy and Jody starts. The three best friends. Yeah. And his friends get him clean and we've got this real, like, Kurt Cobain moment. They're feeding him <laughs> soup. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I love that. Uh, hey, so after that extremely heavy dream flashback, can we do some of our dumb, dumb cum jokes? Like, <laughs> let's, let's, get, let's get it going. I mean, look, you can rush it back to cum if you want, but what I was going to say is, is Duncan wakes up, he's weeping like he was in the moment the werewolf touched his shoulder. So, you know, it's actually the first time he tripled himself, but it was... <laughs> oh, uh, there it is! Of, um, there it yeah, is! Okay, no, I, I love that. So, so Duncan wakes up crying, and d- does Duncan like hastily wipe those tears away, or does he like let it let it breathe? I think as fast as he can, especially given the company and the moment. Uh, probably pretty hard to do it fast enough that nobody's going to notice, but it's probably pretty clear he wants it to end and does not want to talk about it from his body language. Um, I think real quick, if like Jody would have seen that. He would have, like, made eyes at Duncan, maybe, and then without saying anything, maybe, like, reached at, like, the material on his shirt, like, sort of rubbing it between his fingers. Mm-hmm. That's a Jody thing? No, as in, so trying to um, remind Duncan of, like, the material he's wearing and, like, the flowers that it's, like, um, decorated with being Wolfsbane. Oh, nice. Very good. Mm. The special Jody garment that he made for Duncan. Yeah. yeah. So, you guys would probably, as you pile out of the tube, pretty quickly realize that you're back at the website of the first ever obelisk that you guys went through. Uh, which is, if you recall, the obelisk that you guys found in the woods in the Ashwood after leaving the Temple of Life, after leaving Sanctuary. So you guys, unless anyone does anything, you guys roll through this obelisk and you're in the Ashwood and like, I think we just fucking cut to you guys are trekking south through the Ashwood towards Sanctuary, which you know, of course, was abandoned by Hasselback and his brothers, the monks, uh, who were of mixed gender, but monks, when you guys defended them uh, from, you know, the, the group that was extorting them. And as you approach Sanctuary from the north, Elva pipes up and says, 
I guess you've shown her on a map, like, where Sanctuary is, and she's sort of like, ah, yes, I guess the Temple of Life is just slightly west of the settlement. So, if you'll forgive me, there's something I need to go get from the temple. I'll meet you in Sanctuary. We see our heroes travelling south towards Sanctuary, in the Ashwood once more, back where it all began. They feel rested, but anxious. They're excited to be reunited with their friends, sad for those they won't see, and focused on the tasks ahead. As they travel south, though, unbeknownst to them, they are watched by a set of keen, vigilant eyes. How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons is a production of the Curio Network and hosted by Thomas Owen, Grace Chapel, Ben McAllister and Jackson Newsett. Editing by Ben McAllister. You can find details of all the music in the show notes. We've got other content on Curio, such as Odds and Ends, where Grace talks with people about the mementos they've kept and the stories behind them, or still interested, where we look at film and TV that has been rebooted or remade and try to figure out why they thought it was a good idea. Check it all out at curionetwork.com.